Well, as Alan said, I uh, was very privileged to serve as a delegate for our congregation in Orlando. And um, as many of you have attended such conventions, you know that there's a lot that happens uh, in those settings. And we won't be able to say all of that this morning. Um, So we'll be focusing especially on uh, the worship sessions and then also what happened during the delegate sessions. And, and maybe, and also a few other things that were especially meaningful to us. Uh, and as Alan said, and as you see on your bulletin, the theme uh, for this year was love is a verb. And there was a progression of worship themes over the five days. And these included, starting with uh, Tuesday evening, I am known and loved by God. And then the next day was you are loved by God followed by God's beloved church, focusing on the community um, and how God's love is manifested among us. Then we uh, love our neighbors, and as you go, love was the final, the final worship service. And of course, um, if you get the Mennonite, there's a lot more information in there, and so I encourage you, if you haven't already read uh, those summaries, uh, and there's also that can, a lot of that material can be found online as well. And I would say, yeah, all of the worship services were very meaningful, and the speakers um, quite inspirational as well as challenging. And um, I especially want to focus a little bit. I'll just highlight the last two sessions because they focus more on on our um, responsibility and privilege to share God's love with others. And so on the, uh, on, um, I forget which day it was now, <laughs> I guess it was um, um, Friday morning, uh, Dr. Maribel uh, Ramirez Hinojosa spoke from her own life and her own experiences, and as well as she used the parable of the Good Samaritan. And she talked a lot about the challenge to love others, uh, which includes working for justice and for laws which can protect rather than harm people. And she quoted uh, Dr. Cornell West, who said that justice is what love looks like in public. And I think that's a really helpful um, uh, truth that we need to, to learn to know what more what that means. Um, then on our last morning, Dr. Drew Hart talked about the need to love as Jesus loved. And he talked about that too often we have a disordered or diseased love that that sort of puts an asterisk on the word um, so that we can love some people but not other people. Um, So he was really quite challenging um, to us as Mennonites and to to think about ways in which our love can be uh, diseased or disordered. And he really also urged, like uh, Maribel did, um, that we have an active love that was modeled by Dr. Martin Luther King and the people around him who um, went out into the streets and took risks uh, to work for justice and for, uh, for love that includes everyone. As you know, we approved the Israel-Palestine resolution, which I think many of you have already had a chance to read, and probably some of you read it prior to the convention. But just a little bit of detail about 
how that was presented to us. I think, um, again, many of you might know Andre Gingrich-Stoner worked a lot on this process, as well as Jonathan Brenneman. And in the presentation of the resolution, we also heard strong endorsements of it from several pastors across MCUSA, and also from Rabbi Brant Rosen, who is part of the Rabbinical Council of Jewish Voice for Peace, I don't know if you've heard of that organization, but Jewish Voice for Peace is the largest Palestinian solidarity organization in the U.S. So it was good to have him representing, and then also Reverend Alex Awad, who is a Palestinian United Methodist leader, and he was um, present at the last convention and also has visited, I believe, Mennonite communities throughout the country in, uh, in advance of the convention. So I would really welcome our exploring possibilities for how we might apply this in our own context. For example, I would like to know more about the connections we already have um, in our congregation with Jewish communities locally. And if we don't have strong ones, maybe this is a good time in this moment and in our nation uh, to create some and to show friendship and learn what we can from our Jewish siblings. And likewise, how can we put love in action to stand with Palestinians? Um, many of us have been very involved in this. Several of you uh, have lived in Palestine or Israel. But remembering that our Christian Palestinian siblings in particular have explicitly reached out to us and asked for our attention, our solidarity with them, um, how might we follow up in really specific ways. I'm wondering if this might be one way to follow up on our conscious capitalism class, thinking about where our money goes and how we unconsciously support um, the occupation of the Palestinian people. So some, there would definitely be some opportunities to explore that further in Sunday school. Please let me know if you're going to pursue that in your class or if you would like to have a special space for that. I was also really grateful to be part of a couple of new things new to me this year. Uh, one is the reason I'm wearing this um, particular lanyard is there were several of us uh, who were on call as basically chaplains to be contacted by um, queer folks or people who were very close to queer Mennonites who wanted support during the convention, who needed some kind of debriefing of something that had happened. Uh, I was not called upon during the time that I was on call, and I don't know how many of us were, but that was this was indicating to people that we were available, and our phone numbers were listed in a, a pamphlet for that. The other, the other thing um, was being part of a four-person anti-racism team. And this was two Latino women and myself and a, a white man uh, from the Northwest. And this really helped me pay much closer attention uh, to where and how people of color were part of each piece of the convention and how or if diverse voices were being heard especially in the future church summit process, and I'll say more about that later. Um, connected with this anti-racism piece, the very first night of the convention, the play there was a play performed uh, by Ted Swartz and Michelle Milne 
uh, called Discovery, A Comic Lament. How many people have heard about this play already, Discovery, A Comic Lament? Not a whole lot. A few of you, yeah. This is by Allison Brookins. She's a recent seminary grad. And it was a really powerful play and, and really funny. So it was a play about what's called the Doctrine of Discovery, which some of you I'm sure have heard of. Uh, this is simply the legal framework that has justified the theft of land and oppression of indigenous peoples in this continent. What I really appreciate about this play was it was offering us subtle and funny ways of seeing ourselves honestly. Things that are really difficult, they were able to engage with both seriousness and humor, and, and it was um, you know, using humor and not a sledgehammer like, to encourage us not to turn away from some of these hard realities and the questions that it raises. So just an FYI, some of our sister churches in this area are working to bring it to our region, and so I really strongly encourage your taking time to see it. And please come and ask me more about it um, if you're curious. One other thing that I want to mention before I talk about um, the Future Church Summit is that uh, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the Mennonite Women USA organization. And so they had a special celebration um, to celebrate that 100th year. And so um, the conference planners decided that the offering that was taken would be divided uh, among the Mennonite women and also then the women in leadership project, which uh, I also have the privilege of being part of. And so there was um, uh, maybe a little bit of a a special focus around the contributions that women have made to the Mennonite Church. Um, So you can ask me more about that if you'd like. Um, um, But that was one reason I was really glad to be there this, this time. So I think probably most of you have heard about the Future Church Summit uh, this actually um, was the major part of the delegate sessions. Um, and um, I didn't actually spell this out in my notes, but it was pretty grueling. I mean, we had long sessions with 
very few breaks, and the breaks that we had, even for lunch, weren't very long, and so it was pretty, pretty intense. Um, and so I'll just mention that. So we were working hard. <laughs> um, and so the purpose of the Future Church Summit was um, it was actually envisioned by Glenn Guyton, who's the Chief Operating Officer for Mennonite Church USA. And I think many people, especially after Kansas City, felt that that was such a painful experience. We wanted to do something different uh, and that could uh, draw in people in a different kind of way. And so the goal was really to gather as large and representative a group as possible um, to really focus on our future as a denomination, as an Anabaptist denomination for today. And it was um, designed by a very diverse group. I think there were 12 people in all. And it was very intentionally um, a a diverse group who who gathered to to envision and plan this event. Um, And so those who were included included all of the conference and congregational delegates uh, that were in attendance. Um, And then also there were special invitations to other groups like agency uh, representatives as well as uh, racial ethnic groups to make sure that we could have a more representative uh, and diverse uh, grouping together. And so in total, I think the numbers were 672 people were included in this summit, uh, and there were 97 tables. Uh, So you can see it was a large group uh, spread over a large area. Uh, I mean, it was a huge room. So most of our work was done in table groups, uh, but there were also some large group exercises and discussions. Um, And I've participated in large group events before, but I felt like this one was especially really well-planned uh, and the facilitation was was quite wonderful. Um, and it was very clear that they had really thought through uh, all of the different aspects and how they would um, would uh, organize and, and what kind of input and how it would be structured. All of that was really carefully thought through. However, <laughs> there was a major, really unfortunate um, glitch that happened or, or uh, unfortunate, I don't know what you would call it, But one of the exercises was to kind of construct a timeline of Anabaptist Mennonite history and um, then to do some reflection around that. And one of the major groups that was left out was the Latino uh, experience in the Mennonite church. And I think this was especially painful because we were in Florida where there are many Latino congregations. Um, And so to have that piece left out of that exercise was... Uh, was quite unfortunate. Um, I understand that they actually had invited someone to be part of the presentation, and then he was sick at the last minute. But unfortunately, I mean, they could have invited other people to be part of that, but somehow that was a real oversight. And so that contributed to a sense of um, of loss. Um, of course, I think there were other people who also felt slighted <laughs> in, in that exercise that weren't quite represented as, as well as they would have liked as well. Um, So that was one of the major unfortunate happenings. But otherwise, I would say, um, the process really encouraged um, a lot of good conversation and input from from the whole group. Uh, One of the features uh, was to have an iPad at each table. And again, I'm sort of a 
I'm not one to honor technology maybe as much as I should, but it was amazing how that contributed to uh, involving the whole group because we had specific questions that we were responding to, and then we had a scribe at each table sending those responses to a theme team who worked very, very hard. There were 10 people, and they had a process uh, collaboratively gathering up all the information from these 97 tables and organizing them, synthesizing them, summarizing what they were hearing, and then they would report back at the end of the session what they heard. Um, so it was amazing. <laughs> um, and at the final, uh, the final session, we actually went through that report um, in sections, and then we were asked to each vote on how confident we were that this was accurate and heard what uh, and represented what we were hearing um, and, and what we discussed at our table. And the confidence uh, rating overall for, for those uh, for this report was like over 90%. And so I think that was uh, the theme team needs to get a lot of credit for really drawing together all of that. I will say that uh, my table group experience was quite positive. Um, there were four men and three women. We were all white, which surprised me. I thought there'd be more ethnic and racial diversity, um, but that wasn't at our table. We did come from different parts of the country, and we did have some theological and age diversity in the group, um, although I must say there were probably more people my age than, uh, but we did have a few younger voices, um, probably in their 20s and 30s. Um, and I, I felt like we were able to hear one another in helpful ways, um, to ask questions of each other, to listen deeply. And we also rotated the roles of being a facilitator for the group, being a scribe, and also a timekeeper. And so those roles we rotated among ourselves. Um, there were 12 questions that we responded to, and we'll show you a bit of that um, a bit later. Uh, and there's seven pages, so you can read it all, and we won't be able to, to um, report on all of that. Um, but I will comment on, on two areas. Uh, one area focused on what draws us to the Anabaptist expression of faith and our areas that we want to continue or themes that are, or uh, beliefs that we want to continue. I think one of the things that was very striking was how much um, the centrality of the life and teachings of Jesus came forward, that this is something that we really value as a, as a denomination and that we want to continue. Another was peace, justice, and service linked together, um, our sense of community and mutual care, and then also uh, nonconformity to the empire was a theme that came up. And then in terms of another area that we looked at was, and especially after we had looked at that timeline of history and reflected on that, um, some areas that we want to lament or need to lament and want to change or transform. One was uh, racism and complicity in colonialism. And here it was really significant, I think, to have an indigenous voice be present present, and um, this was also reflected somewhat in the focus on the doctrine of discovery uh, that, that uh, Samantha talked about. Um, a second area that we uh, lament is our exclusion and marginalization of people due to their identities, their, um, 
you know, excluding people because of who they are or how they look or what, um, what their identity is um, rather than, um, well, I'll, I'll just leave it at that, um, that that's an area that we want to need to change. Uh, an assimilation to the dominant culture was also an area that we lamented. Our misuse and abuse of power. Um, so I think I'll stop there. Those were some of the themes that came through in the report that I um, that really stood out to me. Also, just a note to add a small thing on the process, something that was striking to me was the person who was scribing uh, was encouraged to enter individuals' feedback. So the, the table didn't even have to come to consensus or agreement in order to feed in an idea. They wanted to get as many voices as possible. So if someone said something at the table, we would just enter it in and send it to the theme team. So that was I was kind of just amazed that and the fact that they were able to collate all those things was, yeah, very impressive to me. My table was also all white. We did have a similar combination of genders. So our diversity was in age. We had, um, we had a pretty good spectrum of age. We had one recent college grad. And I think that statistically this convention, no, actually I know it was written up. This convention had a, a higher number, far higher number of young adults present and participating and active in the process. Uh, gender diversity at our table and also geography. We had folks from rural, urban, um, and a little bit in between, and a mix from the Midwest and the East. And we had a very significant degree of theological diversity. It was clear to me, just in kind of continuing what voices were heard, it was clear to me that there were significantly more LGBTQ folks present and speaking in the process than I had seen before, both at table groups and at the microphones. And people of color were better represented as well in the future church process, but still not quite proportionally to the numbers we have in uh, the denomination. Uh, but I did, I did sense a desire to continue to work at this, and I think we named that more clearly maybe than we have as a giant group before. Um, the missing of telling the Latino uh, history during the timeline process was really hurtful to folks and um, I heard from um, one of my colleagues on the anti-racism team that it really did prevent some of the Latino folks from participating as fully as they may have just because that was so difficult and happened right before we went into the Future Church Summit. Some th I strongly affirm the themes that Linda has already named. These were things that seemed strong and, and essential to our identity as Anabaptists. Additional themes that I was grateful to see come through and things that we value are singing our theology by making music together, interpreting scripture through the lens of Jesus together, reading the Bible together, mutual aid economics was named, sharing our lives and resources with one another, faith as a voluntary choice, Anabaptist values rather than simply ethnic heritage, and the belief and the expectation that God is in the margins. 
So I'll also take a couple of the categories, the questions that we were asked, a couple other questions. One of them was, what are the implications of having diverse identities within our church? Which is kind of a huge question. Most of them were really huge, and you felt like you could probably spend a day on each of them. But some of the themes that emerged, oh, maybe it's asleep. (coughs) Might need the lens to wake up a little bit. Some of the themes that emerged around diverse identities in our church um, are the fact that diversity in our communities gives us access to a spectrum of God's gifts, realizing that, um, that that's true and it's not always just a challenge, but it's also a gift. Um, there was an, a desire for a more just distribution of power and resources in the church, and the desire to be mindful of power and how it affects marginalized voices. I'll note here that, so you can see some additional ones here under that category. These are things that the theme team compiled from what the table groups sent into them. Um, Again, around issues of race, I would say that people, Even though people of color were not quite represented in proportion to their actual presence in the Mennonite church denomination, because we had a process that was designed to hear many voices, there were times that we heard very directly from them about their experience as Latino or African American or indigenous Mennonites in ways that, again, I haven't really heard so clearly and directly in such a large gathering. Um, So one African-American sister said, we are not seeing privilege for what it is in the church. Um, A Latino brother said, sometimes we feel invisible. We're here, and we've been here for a long time, but we're not always seen as equals. And these were kind of round um, circle groups that were up front at the microphones. Um, Another Latino woman said, um, just in kind of identifying the Latino presence in the church, we're, we're church planters, we are pastors, we are CEOs. We're not invisible. We love the church. We're here to proclaim the love of God. Uh, and the people of God is all of us. So this ability for uh, the whole group to hear folks saying that up front, um, I really valued. It seemed like truth-telling uh, in a way that allowed us to receive, and then we could even talk about that at at our table groups. I noticed, as Linda mentioned, various people um, of different races and identities were wrestling with questions about how we use power or share power or how power structures in the church might be transformed. And really a desire, I felt a desire present to open to the Spirit's leading in new ways recognizing that that will bring change and that some of us will be deeply challenged as the church of the 21st century will look different from what we know or what we have known. And one of the themes that that is right at the bottom here that I think expresses this most clearly and succinctly, the Holy Spirit is present and unruly and that we should expect that that's the case. We also were asked... What can we take action on in response to the world's needs? Um, so you'll see as Titus scrolls here, um, this is quite a list. We have 
economic injustice, immigration, people's experiences of isolation and loneliness and fear, the refugee crisis, climate change, human rights, interreligious relationships, sexual violence, nationalism, health crises. Uh, so we pretty much, I think we hit, we hit, you know, most of the things that we care about here at East Chestnut. I think I was, um, I was really struck that there are so many clear connections with the things that we are grappling with. Um, so that was clearly shared across the denomination. And so my challenge in looking through this list, which, um, yeah, could, could be easily pretty overwhelming, is again this need for discernment, uh, knowing that we can't respond to everything, and so, and knowing also our desire here at East Chestnut to do something and to continue to be active in our love. How is the Spirit moving and calling us here in our place and in this time um, to show the love of God in these huge um, needs that we find all around us? So again, this is something that we can, if we wanted, we could even take this list as a, a starting place and say like, okay, what are we already doing? What are things that we're drawn to? But to, to take that work of discernment really seriously and not get paralyzed and not also try to do more than is ours to do with the energy and resources that we have. I want to say a few words about the ending uh, resolution that came back to the delegate session um, after the Future Church Summit was over. Some of you might have read about this, um, especially on some of the online reflections that people had about what happened um, on that last morning. And, um, yeah, just to... Yeah, again, we were all pretty exhausted, I think, and so there, there had been a lot of um, talking and discerning and being together. Um, and I think those who planned the Future Church Summit, my sense was that um, they, you know, there was a lot of energy, a lot of prayer, a lot of thought and deliberation that went into that, and 
there was a hope that this could really mean something and not just be a nice exercise to do. Um, and so there was a resolution proposed to go to the delegate assembly um, that would take the report that was received or that, you know, that we came up with and, and uh, hand it off then to our executive board and the denominational leaders. Um, but as, as there was some discussion about this in the delegate assembly, I think some felt that the proposed resolution um, was too directive and didn't allow for the broader church to, to you know, to pr help process uh, these results and discuss them. And so there was kind of a flurry of last-minute change, um, and, the, and the wording was softened so that the resolution uh, or the report from the Future Church Summit uh, was received and commended as a guide, but not a direction. Um, the, the, the word direction was a real problem for some. And so um, if you've read some of the, I mean, there was a little controversy around that, uh, which you may have read about. Um, and I think, yeah, the result was, was disappointing for those who, who had really put a lot of effort into the summit, uh, but it was a relief to others that it was kind of re resolved in that way. I think uh, as I've reflected about this um, since then, I mean, it's clear that there are some shifting power dynamics in the church, um, and this is really uncomfortable, and especially, I think, for those who are used to having their voice and their perspective uh, take center stage. I mean, those who are used to kind of being in the majority um, and having their voice affirmed found it difficult that maybe there are other voices and other perspectives um, that are feeding into this process in a, in a larger way. Um, I think it also raises the question about how, what's the best way for a large well, we're not a large denomination, but, but, but we are a large group. <laughs> um, you know, how, what's the best way for processing things, for doing discernment together, um, and making decisions? And, you know, is it through the typical resolution process that we've had, or is there another way, which the summit maybe was a, was a, an experiment in, in how that would go? Um, I mean, I, I, think that the summit did a surprisingly good job of helping a large and a more representative group do some work together and to some discernment together. Um, yet, of course, it didn't include everyone. And so, um, you know, there is value in, in allowing other people to respond to the, to the report, to speak into that process as well. Um, and yet, you know, as I think about that, I mean, I don't know that there's been a process identified for allowing, you know, how will congregations deal with this? Who will report back? Who will um, give feedback uh, on the report to denominational leaders? You know, will it be everyone or will it be, you know, those who, who have the time and the interest and the energy to do that? And does that sort of further entrench traditional power? Um, and so, you know, I think these are things that we are wrestling with as a church. And, and of course, there's no perfect process that can include everyone. Um, and yet, I would say I found that this was a good step uh, toward finding a way that's more inclusive uh, and that shares power more broadly across the church. 
Um, so that's, yeah, if you are interested in talking about that, I think both Samantha and I would be happy to, to reflect on, on some of those questions together. And now we want to turn to the final question, um, which uh, in, in the report, which was, what are ways that we can follow Jesus together in the 21st century? And uh, I'll just mention a couple things as I kind of looked at this list, um, and then Samantha will, will offer some reflections as well. I think it's striking, um, the emphasis on being countercultural communities, um, the importance of scripture to us as a denomination, um, the need to partner with others, both locally and globally, um, creation care, and then also um, finding ways to use a restorative justice framework more often. Um, those were things that I, that as I looked at that list, were things that stuck out to me. Uh, can we scroll to the 21st century one? Okay, okay, yeah. If I, so I was very encouraged and, yeah, I was very encouraged to see that the, um, this idea of immersion in Scripture came through really clearly and in, in some different ways. Um, the naming of Upside Down Kingdom, Sermon on the Mount, etc. But then we, Isaac Viejas got up and was like, y'all actually gave us some specific references, Scripture ref that you really find important, so here they are, we just listed them. But I've I would be really fascinated to go through and even take a look together at some of these things and, and these actual, these specific references and see again kind of how does this connect with us. Um, obviously, some of them are very obvious, uh, how they, they clearly connect with who we are at East Chestnut um, as Anabaptists. But I look forward in light of, of this affirmation, which I think we've, like, for example, Phyllis, I think, has heard in her interviews around Sunday school and what is desired here, uh, people have named um, a way to read the Bible together um, at different, even with, for people who have different levels of experience with the Bible, because we do have some diversity there as well within our congregation. And so I really look forward to finding maybe more ways and maybe more creative ways to read the Bible together, and especially... Uh, for folks who are newer to it or not so new to it, for everyone to be able to feel comfortable in learning and exploring and asking questions. Uh, some of the other things, one of the things that Linda mentioned was being a countercultural community. And that, that felt hopeful to me as well, that our desire is still strong to continue to learn what it means to be different in a good way. Um, encouraging each other, you know, in these basic spiritual disciplines of as, as we sit in prayer, as we sit with um, with the biblical invitations to be countercultural, and as we sit with the realities around us that seem to threaten God's reign of love. And how might we continue to experience a deeper connection with our source, with the creator of life and love, and be drawn gently to love, as the scripture says, in action and in truth. Not out of a sense of, of guilt or obligation or ur some urgency that, that we can't 
um, not act, but, but really out of a sense of being beloved and really needing to, to share that love in some way uh, in the midst of, of some serious threats that we have experienced uh, in the last while in our country. So I found this to be, as Linda said, hopeful um, and encouraging our time together.